0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to Inspired Conversations with Karen Kirkendall. This is podcast number 18. So I hope you're all doing well. Uh, Today I have a, a theological subject that I'd like to talk about. And I have a special guest with me today. It's Reverend Dave Robinette. And you guys remember Dave from our live radio show. So welcome, Dave.
1: It's great to be here.
0: Thanks. It's good to see you again, Dave, finally.
1: Yeah, it's been a long time. It
0: has. Today's um, subject is deism versus traditional Christian theological thinking on hands-off or hands-on. And deism, I think just in layman's terms, I think it means that someone would believe in a creator, a God, who does the creating but is a hands-off God. Mm-hmm. And traditional Christian thinking is that God is a hands-on God. So right. we're doing uh, wax on, wax off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Am I allowed to say that? I don't know if I can. I don't know. So anyway, the reason I was thinking about this is I ran into a couple people this last week, and they're very solid Christian church-going people. They're in a place of discouragement, they don't really know how to feel. Is mm-hmm. God a hands-on God or is he not? Mm-hmm. And and in reference to the uh, scripture in Jeremiah 29, mm-hmm. and um, and maybe I'll, I'll read that if you don't mind and then have you kind of give us some help with okay. this. Okay. This is Jeremiah 29, verse 10. It says, This is what the Lord says for Babylon. I will come to see you and fulfill my gracious promise to you. And bring you back to this place. And this is the part, Dave. And I'm quoting. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope for a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. That seems to indicate that he says, I know the plans I have for you. So Mm -hmm. that's a hands-on God. Sure. So in times of discouragement, when someone maybe doesn't hear from God or feels that he's absent and says, well, gosh, maybe I've gotten this wrong, and maybe they're thinking not necessarily they're a deist, but more in that line. Yeah. What can you—
1: Deism was a—is an attempt to— to to take the logic of a creator and yet at the same time the logic of we have daily issues that if we had a loving creator who is hands on we wouldn't have those issues mm-hmm. and i think the uh, one of the things that when you you read jeremiah 29:11 we often have the the mentality that you can just take that principle and just put it on any life you know right. here's we'll just put it anywhere God made God said that in the Bible and so it has to apply to me. Um I think one of the things we have to remember is that when God was speaking that, he was speaking to a nation that was in captivity. God had been faithful to Israel from their inception. And yet in, you know, around 1000 BC, Solomon starts inviting some worship of other gods to all these different wives he had. And then from there, that turns into, let's start worshiping all these other gods along with Jehovah God. And then by, you know, 700 B.C., 800, 700 B.C., they were starting to move all of the the, the sacred elements out of the temple and replace those with idols to Moloch and Baal. Mm-hmm. And then that turned into child sacrifice. And so they're sacrificing their children outside the city gates. They're worshiping God in the temple uh, that was designated for God. They're worshiping other gods. And then so finally God says, hey, we're we're not going to do this. And if you're not going to be faithful to your side of the covenant, then we're going to have to do some discipline here. And so he takes them to Babylon, captivity, and they're there for 70 years. But graciously, while they're in there, Jeremiah wrote to them while they were in that captivity. And then that's when God makes this promise. He says, I'm going to be faithful to the promise I made to you. Uh, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. All throughout the Old Testament, the commitment was to God would remain faithful and Israel would have a wonderful future if they remain faithful to their side of the promise. And they kind of went in and out of that. That was sort of an up and down thing from their side. But God still was gracious to them. I think in the New Testament, we have a tendency to, to run back to that promise and say, okay, here is the ultimate promise that God's going God's to gonna give me a hope in a future. But sometimes I think we forget that the greatest fulfillment of that promise was when the Messiah came. And when Jesus came, basically God said, here is the the greatest blessing I could possibly give. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says in the past, this is verse 1, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through prophets like Jeremiah at many times in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. I think sometimes we think... To say that God's a hands-on God, it means he's going to remove all of our difficulties in this life. When God says ultimately the fulfillment of that promise is is a relationship with Jesus Christ that gives us a promise for eternity. It says in the book of James that this life is just a vapor. It's so short, yet eternity is so long. And God says ultimately that's where the promise can be fulfilled. At the same time, you know, I say that kind of as the overarching bridge that holds all this together. But I do believe God's involved in the daily parts of our lives. I forget the name of the author who wrote The Dark Night of the Soul. Mm. But, you know, we go through those times. We go through really difficult times. I haven't been on—I stopped doing the radio stuff with you and and because these last four months have been excruciating some of the physical stuff I've dealt with. Right. But you keep moving forward, and you see little just sometimes it's just a little sunbeam of God's glory, God's love, and and I think sometimes we think in this life, a loving hands on God would remove all of our difficulty, but that's not really what He promised us. He promised us that in in heaven, but in this life, He says you're going to have trouble. You know, Jesus said in this life, He said in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to have tribulations when God sends tribulations, he expects you to tribulate. You
0: know? <laughs> and <laughs> we expect, do. And we do, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Right.
1: And sometimes it feels like we're in a washing machine yeah. in this life. Yeah. But one of the things I've learned is you learn more about yourself and you learn more about God when you're in those difficult places. I'd love to live on the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I never will. I also know I learn very little about Um, myself when i'm on the beach right but i learn a lot about myself and i learn a lot more about god when i'm in the middle of the storm i think it's it's not funny but i it's interesting to me that it seems like about every time in the gospels that jesus told his disciples hey go get in the boat and start heading out on the lake and i'll and i'll meet you every time a storm came up if Jesus told me to get in a boat, I wouldn't get in a boat. Right. I'd say, I'll walk around. You know, this is, <laughs> right. I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. But he always somehow calmed the storm when they were in the middle of it. Now, they were, after Jesus went back to heaven, these poor guys got the life beat out of them. Right. They were persecuted to death, literally. But they never gave up their testimony for God because they knew that eternal hope.
0: Just in saying that, okay, so two people I ask this Question of this week, and the one person he was really kind of funny because he said, "I just keep buggering on," mm. and uh, <laughs> and then the other person she said something similar, and she said, "I just keep going." Yeah. And so, what about the person who can't keep buggering on? Wow. Well, what, um, how do we tell them that this is a hands-on God, and He actually yeah. has a plan? And they say, "Actually, this is a bad plan. I'm out."
1: This is going to sound like incredibly harsh words. Again, I think the the same is true. We fix our eyes on a different destination. And if our destination is this life, the the difficulties being eased in this life by a hands-on God, even though He promised He would be with us always, He would never leave us, never forsake us. I don't know what buggering actually means, but
0: um, <laughs> I think it, I'll Wikipedia that's a Winston, that when I get Yeah, it's Winston Churchill's. He buggered yeah, on. He right, kept on going. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, I think I know what it means. But I think at the same time, I've got a, a little picture frame on my desk with five life lessons from Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. He was the embodiment of a guy who went to his grave just continuing to go from, Failure and failure with great enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, that's buggering. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm, I might lose, I might fail, but I'm going to keep on moving. Yeah. I'm and I'm going to keep going ahead.
0: I have the uh, a sign, and it's right above my desk in my office at home, and it says, never, never, never give up. Yeah, exactly. And what can we say when they give up? Like, our churches are half empty.
1: One of the things, I did a funeral this weekend for a lady in our church who knew the definition of buggering. Mm. She had physical problems and she had difficulties. And if anybody had reason to get angry, she did. But she continued to find happiness and joy everywhere she went. And to me, a part of making the best of when life gets difficult is how can I take this difficulty and use it for somebody else's growth, you know, my growth and somebody else's. And again, if we take our eyes off of ourselves and put them on on God and on other people, then it begins to change our countenance. And I, I love Psalm 41. If you read the first collection of Psalms, the first 41 Psalms, chapters of Psalms were written mostly by David. We call those the contemplative Psalms. And if you only read parts of those psalms, you'd think, man, David is constantly in trouble, right. constantly. He's, and But you look at David's life, more often than not, the trouble he had, he created himself. Yes. And yet somehow, through those psalms, he continues to take his difficulty back to God. And Psalm 41 starts that he who takes care of the weak, that God's going to take care of your needs— if you're able to set your eyes on a on a different place, then a lot of times you begin to experience how God takes care of us. And sometimes it just changes our barometer a little bit. It changes the perspective we have on the difficulties of our life. Uh, Psalm 41, one says, Blessed are those who have regard for the weak, for the Lord delivers them in times of trouble. So the Lord protects them, preserves them, counts them among the blessed in the land. When we're really struggling— That's when we almost have to part of the buggering is saying, "Okay, this is a difficulty of my life, but I'm going to I'm going to help somebody else out. I'm going to work to to minister to the needs of somebody else. And then we begin to feel in some ways what we're built to do. I think the other thing. A part of that is that part of the buggering is being in a community buggerers. (laughs) a buggerers.
0: <laughs> right. right. <laughs> other I people, think that's true. Right. Other
1: people who yes. are trudging along too. Yeah. And we trudge together. Yeah. You know, and, and not we in hold a complaining way.
0: Exactly. Right. Exactly. No, in an uplifting way.
1: There's yeah. there's something about being with somebody who you know has the same kind of struggles you have, yes. but they have a different countenance. Yeah. And sometimes that helps lift us up. Yeah.
0: Well, all right. So quick question, and we may have to address this continued in another segment, but you talked about God handing over the Israelites to uh, Babylon. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they weren't listening. And we used to call this when I was doing a teaching down at Winfield House, the Smackdown. Yeah. That uh, <laughs> that you can see every couple of generations, you're going down. Yep, that, yep. you know, everybody's got all this heavy faith and they, they are righteous. And then the next generation, not so much. And then it right. really turns bad. Right. So they were in the Smackdown. So culturally... If, if I hear this so much, whether it's in counseling or through mm-hmm. just friendships or socially, um, that people um, think that God is a hands-off God mm-hmm. because of our cultural uh, situation, that just like the temple with Solomon, we have replaced those holy objects with other gods. The individual rights of people are kind of subjugated to the whole. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. In the midst of that, I think we have big problems in our nation. Mm -hmm. But let's also remember that if you live in the United States of America, even at the poverty level, you're wealthier than 90 percent of the world. Yes. And so, you know, sometimes I I wonder, I don't want to minimize anybody's problems. I have struggles. You have struggles. My struggles are far different than the lady who in – North Africa is trying to find enough food today to keep her child alive.
0: Mm -hmm. And so
1: sometimes I wonder if our perspective gets way off. Um, You know, this funeral I did this weekend, this just kind of came to me in the middle of the funeral, and I'm sort of proud of it, the line. But, you know, we have this whole line of – in front of our church, we have this whole line of beautiful Cadillacs and Escalades and all those things from the funeral home, you know, the hearse, and and they're all beautiful, and they're – white and gleaming and all that sort of stuff. But I recognize that not a, one of those cars had a luggage rack or a trailer hitch. <laughs> You're not taking a thing You're with you. You're going naked. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and so sometimes we get so bent on why don't I have all the stuff that my neighbor has yeah. or why isn't my life as easy as my neighbor's is when, you know, I wonder how that lady in North Africa would look at our lives and say, really? Right.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, and they have shown people who come over from other third world countries and they don't even understand our closets. Right. Like why in the world would you even need any of that. exactly. So, so, you know, and I mentor some kids down in Covington, Kentucky, Mm -hmm. and was talking about this very thing this week. And of course, they're in American poverty and Mm -hmm. they do have problems. Sure, sure. I don't want to minimize that. No, no. And I wasn't either, except I was trying to give them that perspective Mm -hmm. that their problem is somebody else's dream. Yeah. This session is coming to a close. So thank you, Dave. And I would like to come back and really talk about this a little bit deeper and maybe talk about the voice of God. Okay. I'd like to thank our sponsors, um, Jeff Britton from Britton Products, Inc., and he's out of Huntington Woods, Michigan, and you can contact him, all things real estate, over 300 products on his website at BrittonProducts.com, and that's B-R-I-T-T-O-N-Products.com. And also like to thank the law offices of Stephen R. Adams, LLC, on 9th Street in Cincinnati, and you can contact him at 513-659-4442. So I thank you for listening, and we will see you next time for Inspired Conversations.